Good evening, and welcome to the Bonafide Moto Show. I'm your host, Joe Fleming, also known as So Tall Right Now, and it's uh, it's good to be back on the show. I feel like having a week break is just really, really weird um, after doing this show three days a week. Um, yeah, it's just quite weird to have a week break from it. Um I am super excited about tonight's show. Um, if you don't know what tonight's show is, we have uh, Gary O'Keefe. He is the project leader from the Buy Call Project. And um, if you didn't get a chance to look at the Buy Call Project um, when we announced the show, um, please go have a look um, and, and listen to the show. It's a, It was a Guinness World Record attempt with some guys on motorcycles and one really cool-looking van. Um, it was the Guinness World Record attempt across the longest frozen lake in the world. So Gary is going to chat to us tonight about what it was like, what the planning uh, w- was like. Um, but also, I-, I had a call with him a few weeks ago, and he's a, he's a very well-traveled man himself, very adventurous guy. So we'll chat. A, um, we'll find out a bit about Gary. Before we start talking about the Bike Call Project, um, as always, uh, this show is made possible by our good friends at Motul. Um, I've actually taken two videos now of the Moto Wash um, of me cleaning my mountain bike, and I keep forgetting to upload it. <laughs> so hopefully now that I'm talking about it, um, I will post that video tomorrow just to show you how easy it is to use this wash and um, and enjoy it. So um, if you've missed any of the shows, you can go on to our website. I've worked my butt off trying to populate that and make that look really cool. Um, and so we've got links to all uh, previous podcasts. And now because Instagram changes things every two weeks, um, uh, all the shows now, instead of being on Instagram stories, uh, will be on Instagram TV forever. So you can actually watch it forever, which is great. Um, and I don't know if anyone noticed, but at the beginning of the show, I played Cold as Ice. You know, just kind of playing along with the fact that it's uh, the Buy Call Project show. It was really cold there. I don't know. I thought I'd go cheesy tonight, uh, keep with the theme. But... Um, Without further ado, I think it's time to connect with Gary and um, get this show on the road. So, Gary, I'm going to send you a request now. If uh, anyone was on my, um, if anyone saw last night's Gary and I were doing call thing was sorted, and a bunch of people chimed in and got to see me teaching people how to jump up. I had to kill some time. Gary wasn't on the call yet, and... Um, Oh, it looks like we're waiting for Gary. There he goes. Sweet. <clears throat> Gary. Hey, hey, hey. Um, oh, my headphones. My headphones are somewhere. Hang on, Gary. Something is happening there. Where are you? <laughs> Where are my headphones? Oh, so sorry. My, there <laughs> they are. Something is happening in my screen. What do we do? Okay. So that looks like your phone has fallen. Okay, is that better? Nope, I can see your office. I can't see you. 
Technical error. Uh, okay. Why you want no to do worries. this for me, Joe? No worries. I can hear you. I can see you, but uh, uh, it's still the back of your office. Yeah. There we go. No. Nope. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Okay. I can see. Yeah, we got the map, and I can see you just fine. Cool. I can't see myself. How's it going, Gary? Yeah, you're you're like um, you're at the bottom of the screen, and then we've got the world. Mm -hmm. So. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay, I got an idea. And, uh, good. good. Cool. Talk to me, Joe. Okay, so um, I, I think of of all the shows, I'm most curious about this one. Um, you know, we've had uh, we've had a lot of uh, adventures on the show, and um, people have done some really amazing things. But this is by far probably like the most um, <clears throat> unique adventure I've I've ever seen. Um, and like, I'm curious to chat mm -hmm. about it, find out what it's what what you guys had to do. But um, before we get into that, I do want to find out a little bit about you and let you kind of discuss a bit about Gary because when we spoke on the phone last week um, you told me that you're quite the adventure and you've traveled quite a lot on motorcycles um, so I wanted to kind of find out from you like who is Gary and um, yeah kind of where are you at okay well I suppose um, most of my uh, just to protect myself and, and everybody else most of the people that might know me um, will obviously agree that I'm, I'm the worst motorcycle traveler in the world just in case you pick me up to be to be somebody spectacular. Uh, so yeah, I mean, look, like like a lot of people watching this, I've done a lot of motorcycle travel, but you know, there are people who have done lots more and lots more adventurous stuff. But I've done quite a bit with some very interesting people as well. Uh, so I'm I'm from Ireland. I'm from the Midlands of Ireland, as might be possibly detectable by my accent. Uh, just a slight hint of an Irish accent there. Um, and the one of the first big trips I ever did actually was from from Cape Town to Tel Aviv, uh, the whole length of the Eastern Route in Africa. That was back in 2007 on a very unsuitable uh, BMW GS 1200, which was sounded like a great idea the whole way up as far as Vintuk and Botswana. But once you got into uh, some sort of heavier stuff and sand in Sudan, it wasn't so clever. Yeah. And when, when, did, when was this? So that was 2007. Okay. And uh, what bike were you riding at the time? That was, uh, that was the uh, BMW 1200GS. Do you know what? I'm going to... Yeah. Okay, go ahead. And, and, and you mentioned earlier that um, you said that your friends would say you're not the best motorcycle traveler. Is that what you said? Say, say again, Joe. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, something happened. Um, I, th I thought I heard you mention earlier that you that um, your friends mentioned you're not the best motorcycle traveler. No, um, I'm I'm definitely the worst person with my hands, and um, I'm I'm blind in one eye, so that's my 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 blog page is called One Eye in the World, so I'm a little bit prone to accidents. 
and uh, I've caused uh, a lot of delays on trips from falling off and breaking things and breaking motorcycles. So no, I'm, I'm probably the worst motorcycle traveler on the planet. <laughs> so, so I guess for you, like um, your uh, your depth perception is a bit off as well. Is that correct? Say that again. Um, are you having a tough time hearing me? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I just um, I just switched to 4G, so maybe that will help. I don't know. I am picking up quite a delay between you and I. Okay, okay, it's pretty good. Yeah. Is that better? I think that's better now. Yeah. Uh, can right. everyone else hear me okay on the on the feed? I see now it's, it should be fine. Um, so, so you mentioned that um, you often have some problems. So with only having one eye, is it, is it that your depth perception is a bit off when you're riding as well? <laughs> well, pe some people might say that that's just an excuse that my perception is off full stop. But yeah, it doesn't have, you know, when, when one eye, you can't judge depth. So more than like, you, you would think that somebody with one eye that can't judge depth would be a little bit more careful. Um, yeah. But uh, no. I think it's a it's, it's it's less the case of having one eye more than having a, not not so many gray cells. <laughs> yeah, um, and and what what happened to your eye? Were you was that something um, you were born with? Yeah, no, no, it was a farm accident actually, just a simple enough farm accident, nothing nothing even spectacular, just some some metal that went to my eye when I was about seventeen working on a farm, so it wasn't even a, wasn't even spectacular. Yeah, not not like a not like a fun story of a shark attack or anything like that. Well, no, but, but some people some people that know me would know that I, I made up. I used to make up this story when we'd be out that um, my mom was from Serbia and uh, she died when I was a kid, and then I went to the Serbian war and uh, I got shot in the eye. Oh, I'm afraid it was just a farm accident. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess if you're at a pub, you can tell anyone the story, and yeah. um, and they'll yeah. play along just fine. Our Irish people are kings of stories, and uh, the truth we never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah. Oh. Um, and um, and so, Gary, you you you're 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 on your own course at the moment of trying to, uh, if I remember correctly, trying to be the first Irishman to travel to every country in the world. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean. It, I guess, I guess everybody, um, not not everybody, but people are a little bit obsessed with control and start to uh, dream up all sorts of things. I've been the first to do this or the first to do that. And sometimes that goes against, you know, the whole spirit of just traveling for fun. But I got this idea that I wanted uh, to be the first Irishman to visit all the countries in the world. But uh, as time has developed, um, you know, I kind of, you know, I'm sure everybody who travels will get this, that it's... Um, it's a bigger deal, you know, it's not such a big deal getting to the places as the people that you meet there. So I'm, I'm just about to transition from wanting to be the first um, Irish fan to visit all the countries in the world, to be one of the first people to have a friend in every country that you could at least pick up the phones in. Oh. That would be probably a cooler cooler mission, you know? Yeah, I, li I like that. You, you've got a contact in every world, in every country. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure most people would agree, you know, that traveling is it, the best stories that you have are from the worst of times when you get in trouble and somebody helps you out and all this kind of thing. So uh, 
that's very true we um i can't remember which show it was but we we spoke about something like that and i think that topic has come up a few times that um you know if a trip goes well um if a trip goes well um and there's no problems um you don't really talk about it that much but when there's a problem um and you had to figure out that problem that's when that's when those stories are usually told around a campfire um yeah, can i just uh, just point out there i'm watching your screen that's coming up and all the people that are joining and there's yeah. somebody called Iggy Mara is joining she actually works for me so uh, i just wanted to point out that if she's listening to anything you hear here uh Lee stays here so otherwise you're sacked <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is uh, yeah i mean the, the best stories come from the worst of times and and that's what kind of probably builds every travel story that ever happened you know if you if you traveled the world you know from the length of cape town to cairo and you had absolutely no mechanical problems you had no border issues you had no wouldn't be much of a story so um you know i i guess that, i guess everybody realizes that uh, one of one of the things is trouble actually one of the uh, one of the people who inspired me to travel uh, and some of you motorcyclists will know the band riders which was set up by two guys two friends of ours called Mark Kemp and, and Kevin Evans and they were they, they they did a trip back in 2012 up in Siberia on what's called the band road which a lot of people would know um we subsequently did a second leg of that with them on the eastern band uh but Kevin Evans was born in London and he's 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 Irish his mom was Irish on that but he has a great statement that he says um <laughs> Carry us it doesn't have a story to make it up I know that is but but Kevin's a great statement that this would be all great mate in retrospect so you know sometimes when you're in the middle of the story you don't realize the things are are so cool but when you go back and have a beer well then yeah. it's uh, it's not so bad yeah I I realized that um I used to like get panicked when when stuff would go wrong and 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 I've I've gotten much better through the through the years I guess but um those are like you do enjoy those moments afterwards and that's what you talk about for for the longest time is when you had a problem and you and your buddies came together and could sort something out to um to sure. Make a plan. Yeah. sure yeah so i mean just to answer your question i mean what am i i'm probably no different than anybody else other than uh I make a lot of noise everywhere I go uh, some of it not all of it good um but yeah I mean I've been I've been had the pleasure of traveling with some really really good guys I mentioned Kevin and Mark from from the Bam Riders um I traveled with my own brother on that one of those legs and a fellow called Jim Kelsey um lots and lots of good really good guys that have um that have done all sorts of spectacular things and uh hopefully we will have many many more when this stupid coronavirus is finished yeah yeah Um as I keep saying I'm going to travel so hard once the borders open up I'm I'm yeah. ready to go. Um Yeah. And did um and speaking of that did you have any any of your own like personal trips planned like for around this time? Yeah, so um I suppose I mentioned the the one eye in the world page and that's just um just a bit of a piss take out of having one eye uh but in when when that started i'd been on a trip with kevin and mark and jim and and Ned, and um i smashed my my knees up for about the umpteen time so kind of realized that enduro riding to that level wasn't a good idea for me for the um, 
you know, to go on a, to go on anything other than motorbikes. Um, but I got involved in. in And that was under this park down in a, in a friend's house in Kosovo. And um, we talked about the Baikal project, which is a van that we made, and that thing is parked in, in, in Moscow. So you're asking, am I prepared for any trips? Well, absolutely. <laughs> it's just a matter of where you can get to first because I've got old vehicles parked all over the world at this stage. Yeah, I think, um, I think that van um, from the Baikal project, like that, that to me was like the centerpiece. Every time I saw a photo, that was like the most iconic thing. Um, and one of our buddies was commenting, I think, I think it was this morning or last night, it's like, I want to find out what van that is. And from the, from the photos that you sent me, um, uh, when I was able to look through that whole database of photos, I, I got to a part where you guys had gone into town and it looked like there was, the, that area was cluttered with the same main yeah. model of that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's definitely it a side area to be Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what it is, yeah, I mean, anyone that's been to Russia, and probably even Eastern Europe, but particularly Russia, uh, these things are, are, you know, they're a dime that doesn't. So they're, they're called UAS, UAZ, UAS 452. So they are the staple mode of transport in all of Siberia, Russia, everywhere you go. And they are the most unreliable piece of shit that you could imagine. So basically, unreliable. Unreliable. Fucking absolutely, totally, 100% unreliable, but they look brilliant. Uh, but I mean, if you have one, either love them or hate them, and con like kind of in a contradiction, they're they're um, they go anywhere, uh, but they are very unreliable. So the the most reliable thing that I ever drove uh, was the Toyota uh, eighty series on Amazon, you know, and they they just are pretty much tractor bulletproof. So we wanted to build um, a vehicle that would be a little bit different and something. Else. So we took, uh, I bought one of them actually here in Ireland. And before that, we have a really good friend over in uh, Siberia called Slava. And we had this great idea at Campfire one night that we would buy one in Russia. He would do it up, drive it to Ireland, we'd have a big adventure and all that. So he did all of that and then crashed it on its maiden, on its maiden voyage and nearly got killed. So we wound up uh, getting very lucky. Uh, found, found one in Ireland and I went to go and pick it up. And the guy had a second one, which was just thrown there. And he said, oh, that, that one is screwed. It's not working. So I bought it off for 700 euros and um, didn't know what I wanted it for. And we brought it home. And then the Baikal project came up. And we got an idea to make a hybrid. So it, it became known as a Toyas. So it's a, it's a cross between a Toyota and a new okay. And uh, basically, we, we so got it a mounted bit, on that. Put a little bit of rust so, Yeah, so it on a, a Toyota 80 series chassis and axles and then we put a, an 80 or a no a 70 series engine in there and um, we have to like everything that we could possibly 
think of went wrong and it was the most stupidest idea on the planet but Jesus looks so cool at the end you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> how's it chris um okay so so <laughs> I I want to get into it now so so how the how the hell did this idea come up so so, so give people the background of the story and and how this whole thing came came about okay so so one of the one of the the binders of this which I actually forgot about is um everybody knows horizons unlimited right uh, grant and susan johnson and the, the travel website that, that there you're familiar with that i'm not Okay so so it's one of the oldest kind of motorcycle travel hubs around there it's been been going for a long time with a, a couple from Canada and they used to run these um thing called uh hope meetings horizon unlimited meetings hate you meetings and oh, um, yes. yeah yeah so one of them was in Ireland one year and I went there and I met I met uh, Kevin Evans who were now friends with since uh more more for the pity for the two of us and um at another one of those I met another Irish guy called Declan Macboy and um you know th- these kind of threads get formed so a few years ago um Declan's a solo rider he rides around the world you know solo and has gone all the way over to Canada he's gone all the way up to Alaska and all the way back down to one and uh he want he came up with this idea that we would ride on bike on so I said that's a great idea. Let, let's do it. Uh but let's let's not just do it ordinary. Let's let's come up with a plan. Uh because I'm obsessed with coming. Uh and the plan I had was wouldn't it be documentary to make a TV documentary. Not for any other reason. And then it got scrapped. Uh, Declan went to do it himself. Didn't work out. And eventually we picked a group of international riders from all over. See one of the guys that signed in the Mario Mariano Carloni from Argentina, Ketan Mariano. Uh come on, come on, come on. So that's a that's a Mariano thing. Um so we had, we had six international riders in the end. We had um Declan McAvoy from Ireland, Kevin Ma- Kevin Emmons from Ireland, Mark Kent from England, uh also called Mr. Motivator. Uh we had a a model with us called Fritz Kreis from Germany. Uh he he's a model for hair gel. Uh we had Mariano Mariana Carloni from Argentina and we had um uh, a cool cold weather expert called um what is this his name is uh, what he can uh Carlos Velasquez Carlos Velasquez from from Lithuania. He, he did a thing called the coldest right um so we forgot the three guys and the other guys or six riders we also met a very cool guy then in um in Russia called um Max Anakin Max is a a Russian cool dude fixer and he he decided he would give us a bit of support and he 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 rode the whole thing on an Ural sidecar motorcycle and guys have done this before yeah so so one of the coolest things that happened by chance was I I work um, in my business I, I stay sometimes in London and right where my where my apartment is in London two doors up is a guy called Russ Malkin Russ Malkin was the producer on Long Way Round you know with Neil McGregor and Charlie Borman so we got talking with Russ and then you know we told him our idea he he was committed he wanted to help but he was committed to um to the Long Way Up the last series but he gave us famous our infamous Claudio Montplanta so Claudio came along and and came and shot some early stuff with us and uh 
basically he, he wound up being our executive director, but he couldn't he couldn't be there. He, he had some really tragic family circumstances. His, his wife passed away there lately. Uh, but he, he put us in touch with a, a really cool guy. And I hope Mariano was watching. He got super, super cool, super cool. He's a German guy called Alex. Like he was our main cameraman and a super young yeah. guy from Ireland called Nisha Kettle. So effectively, the, the story grew. You know, I mean, if you decided to do what we did in the end, you would absolutely take Valium sooner than do it because it, it was a night. So we, we had six riders. We had uh, my Quinn as, a, as my co-pilot. That looked like, um, sorry. I, I don't know. I think I think it might be your end. Um, I see it's buffering on your side, but um, I did I did catch most of it. Like you just kept pausing every once in a while. But it looked like you guys had quite the crew, and it sounds like you guys had um, quite the crew. Like how did? Uh, yeah, we did. Um, how did you, you know, know um, we we, we, we made... say again. Oh, I was uh, sorry. I was saying, um, how did you find these people um, to come on the trip and to be part of the team? It's it's like it's like everything when you travel. You you have you have guys that um, that you meet and then connections and and then friends of connections. So I had I had my crew. You know, I knew I knew Kevin and Mark from traveling and Fritz. Declan brought along Mariano and. Um, and Carlos, and he put us in touch also with uh, with Max. And then I, I knew, you know, from, from getting to know Russ, I got to know um, Claudio, and we got to know Alex, and we got to know all the other guys. And it, it's, it's like, it, it was like the most unorganized plan ever. And uh, like, don't get me wrong, we have aspirations that this thing is going to be a Netflix documentary. And, and we don't yeah. know how. And we started off with zero budget. We still have zero budget, but it's it's getting covered some way or other. Uh, and we've like the guys are actually in the middle of editing it at the moment. And um, we have like about, we think we have four hundred hours of, of really high quality. Tick is like a really super cameraman. So um, we're looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah, um, it'll be great to see what comes of it. I mean, from from the small clips that I did see on Instagram and the the photos that you sent. Um, I mean, and and how many days were you there? It looks like you guys had plenty of time to be there to pick up enough for a TV show. I mean, uh, I'm sure there was plenty of struggles along the way. Hundred kilometers on something like that. We went to a really cool festival called the the Baikal Mile, which is a, a speed race on ice. Um, so yeah, it, it took about a 
couple of three weeks. But I mean, the whole terrain is amazing. I mean, it sounds simple, but this lake is like it holds twenty percent of the world's unfrozen fresh water. It's a mile deep. It's like perfect paradise. And you think that how hard can it be, you know, to ride across a frozen piece of ice? But when you realize when you go there, is the ice isn't just flat. It's like big sheets that stand up six feet in front of you. There's cracks, and you don't want to make a mistake and go through them. I was particularly shitting bricks because I was in a, a vehicle that was hand, homemade, uh, held together with all sorts of love, and was three tons weight. So there was there was a good bit of anxiety along the way. So how do you like? Um, so so like for the riders or for whoever's leading, how do you how do you deal with that? If you're riding along and then you come up with a problem, did you guys have like a scout who 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 like led? found the routes and said, hey, like up here, just watch out? Like, how, how, how do you manage that? Well, we, we, we weren't the most disciplined bunch, but one, one guiding principle we had was that we had a... Um, ...the ice, because it's always changing. And uh, if he calls stop, everybody stops. Now, a few times we broke the rules, you know, we lost sight of them and, you know, rush of blood goes to the guy's head, you're, you're in a bit of a zen or it's freezing fucking cold and you don't want to stop. And, uh, but in general, we, we no. kept to a principle there. If we could see him, uh, he, wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna drive into a hole that was gonna kill himself. So it, it kind of based around that. But a few times we did, we did get lost in a couple of little snowstorms. We had communications errors where um, that was one of the, um, it was one of the biggest causes of, of angst between everybody is the bikes got separated from the fuel at one stage and then broke down in the middle of nowhere. You don't have phone coverage and your radio coverage goes out after a couple of kil kilometers in, the, in that level of cold. And, you know, it doesn't sound so cold. I mean, there's guys in Canada and, and stuff will, will know that like minus 25 is, is handleable. Um, but when it's minus 25 and you're on a KTM and the wind chill factor is probably minus 35 or 45 even. Well, then that, that, gets, that gets hard to deal with. Uh, you know, temperatures get frayed and all that kind of thing. So we had a good bit of that as well. Um, and, and, and how for, for the riders, like what, um, I saw you guys had quite a lot of sponsors on board to like help out with the equipment. I noticed on the bikes that there was like these gloves um, what were those and did like were those lifesavers for the guys? Yeah, uh, you mean on the bikes themselves? Yeah, it looked like there was like this glove. Um, they could yeah, they're, they're called, they were sponsored from a company called um, uh, Hippo Hands, right? I don't know where, where's the East Rand, uh, Ted Delicious that I've never spent a winter in. It, it, it's in, uh, it's here in South I don't know where that is. It looks, uh, sounds, sounds like it's, it's just like a, a bunch of over there. If that's an invitation, I'm there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, one of the big, the big gear sponsor there was um, was Ruka from Finland. And Ruka were very generous, and they they literally listened to every everything that we had to, we wanted to achieve. And you know, it was a big mix of guys who weren't riding but had to film and and all of the kind of different um, different terrains that we have to go go through. Um, but, but they were brilliant, and their gear was exceptional. So every rider was kitted out with, with layers. Everybody knows that in the cold, the way to keep warm is to, to layer up, you know. So uh, they had some fantastic gear. 
uh, our boots were from TCX. They were pretty good. Um, the hippo hands were, were just like wind protectors. And even though you've got gloves on, uh, you know, those, those things, you see courier riders wearing them so they don't have to take off their gloves every time. They, they don't look like slick, but I'm telling you, looking slick into it when, when you need to survive in the cold. Yeah. And what, um, in terms of the cold, what was, what was sort of the biggest problem um, that the team had with, the, with, with dealing with the cold? Was it their hands? Was it, what, what, what was the biggest problem there? <clears throat> well, um, yeah, the, there was, the, mechanically, the biggest problem was every morning trying to start the bike. So we had a Mongolian mechanic called Boogie, and Boogie had to light a fire every day and gas and heat them up. Um, the biggest problem I had mechanically was also with the cold, but trying to get keep diesel moving through the pipe, breeze, and if you kiss the tass, it wouldn't start until you, until you got and, and so on. I'd say the biggest problem the guys had with the cold was, uh, I mean, Kevin Eamons is a, is a big, strong guy, and he's pretty tough, and he's got a big, like, four-foot-wide chest, which is a big uh, filter for wind. But they're, they're, no matter how good the jackets were, that wind chill really it's cold in your chest your hands and feet are the two extremities that are obviously uh, obviously going to going to you know be affected one of the interesting um, our helmets were from but in that circumstance without the heat advisor you saw nothing it completely fogged up and that was it caused another problem because we were running KTM 450s and, and, and 520s, and the battery in them isn't designed to keep, you know, heat advisor, the pull that a heat advisor is in that level of cold. So if you stop the bike, sometimes you have to go and jump start it again, even though you're in stop for a couple of minutes, because the, the heat that was being pulled out of it. And we had, you know, like GPS trackers and things on them, so everything was pulling out. So getting bike started in the morning was a bit of an issue. And then, you know, battery draining and cold is always going to be an issue. Other than that, they were super. KTMs were super. And um, what were some of the, like, some of the, like, oh, shit moments that you guys had? Um, well, for me, um, I, you know, I've, I've grown up in rural Ireland, and you learn to drive tractors and what you call buckies in, in South Africa. And, you know, you can drive through tough enough shit and getting stuck in, you know, in a gap isn't such a big issue. And, you know, you learn instinctively how to get out of it. Um, the problem for me was I thought that was what I was going through. The first time I felt my, my truck slowing down and, you know, felt it like digging in. So I instinctively dropped the gears and, you know, put the hammer down and so on. And uh, second time it happened, I kind of looked at my co-pilot and I said, hmm, I wonder what was that? Well, we stayed going, and then eventually the ice captain caught up with us. He, he took a picture of where the back wheels had gone completely through the ice. So that was a little bit of an oh shit moment, you know, because you know, you, you get when you go out there first, you're sort of saying, Oh, and then all of a sudden you, you drive over, it's, ah, it's not such a problem. Then your wheels go through it, and you go, Oh, so yeah, yeah, and, and you hear the ice cracking. The weird thing is, if you stop, you can hear like. But it's just like plates moving, so that that really gets gets with your gets with your uh, confidence. 
Yeah, so so what what was that like if you guys got out like um and and I noticed from the photos as well that it looked like you guys always rode during the day. It looked like you yeah. were back at camp by night. So in the middle of the day if, if you guys stopped <clears throat> and it was completely quiet, no bikes or trucks were on, what was that sound like? Was it just the popping and the cracking of the ice? Yeah. The it, it depends. He's one of the heroes of the, of the show, has joined. Uh, just don't ride at night. I mean, you guys in Africa know that. It's, it's, just, it's just crazy, you know? Um, and we did one night. We broke our own yeah. rule. And it caused a big fight with a whole lot of us. But in retrospect, Kevin was nice. But um, when you stop out there in the middle of the day, um, you know, it's windy, first of all, because it's a big, wide lake. Um, but then you, you hear these subtle, and they're not just cracks, they're like pumps, you know, like this kind of thing. And then you, you realize every now and again, when you hear something like that, well, when you're driving a vehicle, you hear nothing only the, the noise of the vehicle, but when everything is off and all the comms have gone out of your ears, and you hear this stuff, you realize, shit, I'm actually standing on one mile of water here. <laughs> if I go through there, <laughs> you're going to be drowning for a long, long time. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a little bit, little bit uh, unnerving. And um, for the riders, what was sort of their, the biggest challenge that they had to, um, that they had to deal with? Were they, did they have any uh, like, they, uh, or accidents? I'd, I'd say definitely jealousy was their biggest challenge. Um, oh, because, you, being in the vehicle. Yeah, because, because I had some heaving in the truck and, uh, and my co-pilot was giving me Snickers bars and Mars bars. And I was looking out to the window eating them, whereas they couldn't do any of that. So uh, I'd say, yeah, bitterness and jealousy was one of the big things that they suffered. Uh, well, other than that, I mean, battling that cold all the time. And, and it was not only that, but um, <laughs> lack, lack of Mars bars was, was uh, Mark Kemp's thing. But, but uh, it was amazing, actually. One, one of the things which I didn't realize, and these guys are experienced writers. Uh, like really experienced, much better riders than I am day one with their eyes closed. Um, and, you know, I, I suffer from the depth perception thing. But Kevin pointed out to me, he says, you know, it's not just like riding on, um, on the, see the, the piss taking is going on out in your feet down there. It's very, uh, they're not very nice people. But, but one of the things that, that I didn't get to grips with was how difficult it was to actually judge like rough tracks when everything is white. You've all reference point and you know sometimes there's ice black ice and you can see it and it's actually it's it's slippier but it's easier to see uh, it's very difficult to hard you know when you hit the ground it's like hitting concrete there's nothing soft about it so i i think i didn't really just riding on a nice fresh snow you know and having fun that stuff is really difficult to ride on well so they said so they said i think it was easy yeah looking at um looking through some of the pics i noticed like it, it almost looks like there's certain areas uh of the lake almost like where it's like an earthquake where the land sort of meets and they and it kind of div comes up and it was just these massive blocks um, and I saw some areas you guys had to jump across them, but to, it looks like to fall, to fall near one of those areas and bang an ice block would, would hurt. 
Um, yeah. Did, did, did the guys, did they have, did they have padding? Uh, yeah. Like elbow yeah, pads yeah. and knee pads and stuff? They did. Yeah, they, they're all in fully protective gear from Rooker. So they had uh, those Rooker jackets with the shoulders, the back plates, the elbows, you know, that's really good gear. Uh, and same on the trousers, and they had T-Sake boots. So like, they were protected. Still, and I only now looking back on it, I realize how nervous they actually were. Um, you know, it's difficult stuff to write on. Uh, and you talk about those big plates. Like, I mean, it's hard to believe this until you see it. But, like, you can have six-foot walls of sheet ice. Six-foot high, right? Two meters high. And how the hell did they get there? Well, what happens is the, the ice, like... Like it's a big body of water and some of it freezes and then it comes together and pushes up in a wave or, or maybe some of the ice breaks away and a block pushes it up and then it freezes again and that, that creates a wall of ice. And it's, you, you think somebody put it there, but it's, it's just a phenomenal thing to see. And uh, you certainly don't want to hit one of those things and you certainly don't want to be in a, in a crack situation where water is starting to come up. But when you see water, which we did, that's an old shit ball. Yeah. We had to literally jump some of those um, big cracks. So that was a little shit moment, yeah. And um, and um, what would you like if, if you guys <laughs> are you planning to go back? Um, if you did, what would what would you guys have done differently? Um, uh, just bring different people with me, different friends. <laughs> you know, guys that weren't going to kill me all the time. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, I wouldn't do anything differently. Um, look, there's always something you do. I mean, our, our comms could have been better for sure. Uh, comms. Our comms, yeah, our communications gear let us down a little bit. I think that can always be better. It seems yeah. comms always a problem. No matter what always you're problem. Doing, comms always sucks. It's always a problem, yeah. Um, what else would I have done differently? I, I would have brought more Mars bars and more snicker bars to piss the guys off even more if I had known it was really bugging them. Um, because, you know, I got no thanks for giving them hot tea from my truck when they stopped. You know, nothing, only abuse from them. Um, what else would I have done differently? Um, I don't know if I would because part of the fun, um, for me, a bit of the fun was the underplanning. You know, the way yeah. you're saying essentially, oh, shit, I got, I got ill and hot coffee. Yeah. I, I, um, I got ill out there. Um, I would have brought more medication, but that's for sure. Um, because I got I got pretty ill, I got like a bad chest infection. That that wasn't fun. Um, but it's it's a great way for if, if you're carrying a little bit too much weight from too much of the good life. It's a super way to lose weight, get sick out in cold weather. It's really good. <laughs> and um, and what was uh, the places where you guys stayed? What was what was that like? So we we had a good bit of um, like on onshore. So the Baikal is a big tourist destination, both in winter and summer. Uh, so in summer, obviously, a lot of Russians go there, a lot of Chinese people go there because it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful kind of remote place. So on the shore, you got little kind of dachas, you know, little houses and things where people do like bed and breakfast and basic accommodation. And in the winter, you have in certain areas, you have some people traveling to see the ice and see Olkhan Island is a big thing and all that. Um, we we had camping equipment with us, so we camped on the ice as well, which is really cool. Uh, and those tents actually were really, really, really cool because they've got stoves inside in them. Uh, so they got like a heat-proof sheet and you can put a little lightweight stove. And um, 
temperature regulation is an issue with uh, when some people put too much on the fire when everybody's asleep and then they all get uh, yeah, yeah so there, there's one thing I do differently put somebody else in charge of the fire that's definitely what we do all the different um, but yeah I mean yeah I I, um, I I probably would have took more time um, because it sounded like we took a lot of time um, but we were always moving and even though we only did um there's something for Costco. I love my bikes in Costco. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, even even though like we we did you know maximum a hundred kilometers a day, it doesn't sound like a lot. But Jesus, between trying to film the thing and trying to stay alert in the cold and watch all the stuff, it it was hard going. So it it became not so much about you know how fast you could do it, and I think I think we we missed probably we could have added two days there and really got some more ice cave stuff around Alcan Island and, and that. Uh, that would have been cool. Um, but, you know, in retrospect, yeah, it's always something you do differently. And the pace, um, and that's another question, is the pace that you guys had throughout the day. Like, what was sort of the average speed? Um, and were guys wanting to, like, I mean, obviously, some guys definitely went flat out uh, sometimes, but was it more like a chilled ride for the guys, or were they trying to gun it? What was the pace like? Sorry, Katie. You know, uh, sorry, that was, was slow. Uh, big, big mix of riding styles. When when the snow was smooth, you know, when, when it was like snow had really fallen and it, and it was a little bit deep, I, I, I admit being envious of the guys, you looked out the window and they were just like having fun, throwing the bikes around the place and all that. Uh, when it got really difficult and there was a lot of really tricky, horrible ice sheets, I was I was in my element. That truck just flew past it, and it was fine. Um, so th there was a mix, and then of course you pay for speed. When when you get a smooth piece of ice, and, and there's a track where some local has been this track that looks like a road, and it's just a kind of a beaten track. You're you're going to be really cold riding something like that. So you know it's a big big mix. You know I I'd say it went from ten kilometers an hour to riding over border boulder fields, which in the dark, which were dangerous to purely having fun. Uh, I think it was, looking back, it was a great mix. Yeah, well, that's good. And um, I saw the, um, you guys had like a blessing from some of the locals. Um, there was a photo of yeah. like a shaman type vibe. What, what was yeah, that? Um, that, that's an interesting thing because uh, a lot of people see Baikal as a very spiritual place. A lot of people who don't know Russia don't realize the diversity of people that's there. So everybody knows kind of Mongolian culture and that. But in, in Siberia, you've got two massive republics in, that are in the country of Russia called Buryatia and Yakutia. They're all Mongolian, ethnically Mongolian people. And, you know, they're, they have shaman religion and Buddhist religion a lot and, and this kind of culture. Um, but something about Baikal, it, it, it creates a bit of magic and they see it as a sacred place. So even people who aren't religious, uh, it has an effect on them. And, and like our ice captain is, is a Russian guy. And um, there, was, there was a ceremony at the start where we make a hole in the ice and you, you um, I can't think of, Burkhan, I think is the god of the cold, something like this. You, you, dip, a, you, you dip in the water and drink the water for, you know, for safety and for luck and all that. And uh, there, was, there was a good bit of spirituality around it. And 
people who know me will say you're the least spiritual man on the planet. But you, you got to respect. You kind of learn to respect or respect where that was. Yeah. Um, of another thing that we got to experience was on Alcon Island, which is a famous and um, tourist part of it. Um, shamanism is an old culture there, so this whole idea of um, you know the, the shamans, he came out, he gave us a blessing. Uh, I don't know, was it a blessing looking back uh, that helped me or a blessing that cursed me because basically he drank some vodka and you spit it over a hot poker in your face and uh, he told me not to wash my face for, for two days. I tell you, he got two minutes out of it before it was washed because I wasn't taking any chances. But uh, yeah, that, that was cool to see that. that. That was actually very interesting, yeah. Um, um, and um, um, was the, like, the guys that you were on the trip with, have you kept in touch with them um, and sort of... Hate them all. Absolutely. Can't stand them. Never want to see them again, ever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have. Of course, we have. Um, you know, so, some of us are, are in closer groups than, than others. Uh, and uh, I, I would say there might be an, an odd crossword here or there between some people, but those things happen. But yeah, I mean, in, in general, everybody's more or less in contact. And... Uh, a bit of what I want to show um, is, is that whole thing about, um, you know, when when you travel, uh, everybody gets equal very quick. There's no such thing as nationality, almost doesn't matter. Politics definitely doesn't matter. Uh, you know, everyone is equal when they're on an expedition. And yeah. you, you get that, you build up in your normal social uh, social life or social scene, you throw them out the window. Um, the other thing is that, the age-old thing that I always go by in the Russians, uh, it's, a, it's a, a Russian saying or statement, I suppose. Uh, they, it, in Russian, it sounds like lucha adin razovichets and it means that it's better one time to see than 100 times to hear. And uh, that's, that's basically what travel is, you know what I mean? How many of us have said uh, you're going to go on a trip somewhere and um, you go on a trip and somebody says, oh, don't go there. Uh, it's full of terrorists. I, I remember yeah. once announcing in Ireland home terrorism that I was going to Kosovo. And uh, they said, oh, don't go to Kosovo. There's a war down there. I said, well, have you ever been there? No. Well, how do you know then? I heard it on the news. I said, oh, come on. So um, I said, actually, another good one of that, you know, um, Syria is unfortunately a troubled place at the minute. And myself and Kevin traveled once to, uh, to Lebanon. And actually, anyone that wants to go to Beirut, there is a very cool place to go. It's not, it's not as uh, hard to get to as you think. You know, you can fly there. But we went there and um, we met some Syrian uh, students on the street. We were having a few beers and, and Beirut's a really cool town. And, uh, I asked one guy, what, what's it like in Syria? You know, I mean, it must be. We got restaurants. He says, come and see. And he, his, his take on the Russian statement was the distance between lies and truth is, is four fingers. And when we questioned him, he, he put it to his ear, ear on his eye, and it measured the distance between what all the people, you know, in, in the group. I mean, you're going from, you're going from Argentina where Mariano Carloni's uh, mother's name is Nora O'Shea, like she's a Generation Irish descendant, but yet they don't know. They've never been to Ireland, you know, and all these stereotypes. Now we got people from Germany, and forgive me for saying this, but sometimes <laughs> stereotypes, you know, German people get uh, 
kind of get beaten up for being pretty organized and, and we must know the most unorganized man on the planet in Fritz Christ. So, you know, you, you got to really, really get down and dirty with stuff before you can comment. And I think the best question, if you're ever asking for travel advice from somebody and they give you a definite 100% answer, just ask them, have they been there? And if they haven't, well then... That's it. Um, oh, that's a hundred percent. Like, um, <clears throat> I don't know much of Russia. Um, I, I, I know none of it. But um, when we spoke on the phone, you know, you mentioned how friendly the people were, how inviting they were, um, and and that's the the feeling that I'm kind of getting um, through a lot of places. And, and until you go there and travel, um, you never know what the people are going to be like. Um, so just go and check it out yourself and and then you can make your own decision. Nothing well, that's right. And, and I mean, Russian people will tell you this themselves. I mean, Russian people who have never been outside of Russia will say Americans are bloody blah, blah because, you know, on, 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 you know, on, on all the, the propaganda. But I've never seen Russians and Americans have an argument in any session I've been in with them. But I'll tell you one thing about Russian culture that I know to be true. Um, they, when, when, if you're in Siberia and you're stopped on the side of the road, nobody will pass by Without stopping to help because that's just the way things are there. Um, those guys have got such a black sense of humor uh, that, that it's they're so funny and so open and warm. Uh, the opposite of what you know the stereotypes that might project. Um, and you know the other thing is like people are, are people and 99% of the people in the world don't want to harm you. That's a hell of a lot more than the people who do. So most yeah, you know, I've been in Afghanistan. I mean, people don't go to Afghanistan. Everybody wants to kill you. Like wars that are raging battles last for an hour at the most in a flashpoint before somebody gets tired or runs out of ammunition. And don't be there on that time. Most of the people are just trying to, they, people laugh about the same things. They cry about the same things. They worry. They get pissed off about the same type of things. doesn't matter what language or what color you are after that. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, I think that's a, a great way to end the show, Gary. We've got um, just over two minutes. Um, and uh, I, I like that uh, way to close it. Um, it'll be nice when we can go out and, and see all these people again and get to engage with them once they open up borders and we can start traveling again. Um, yeah. Gary, it was it was great to have you on the show. Um, Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. And uh, I do want to extend an open, this is a tradition we have, there's an open invitation for anybody who's out there that's traveling to Ireland. You don't pass by without visiting some of us. We, we, have, uh, we always like to see people stopping by. Fair enough. I think uh, if I travel that way, you're going to get a phone call from me for sure. What do you mean if? What do you mean if? <laughs> when? That's it. I like that. That's it. Um, and and please do let me know when uh, when the show comes out. Uh, I'm, I'll be excited to put that out from our side and, and see what you guys yeah. really got into um, uh, throughout the nights and on the ride. Um, for everyone else, thank you so much for joining. Um, it was great to be back. Next week we have um, uh, next week's show is Wednesday. We have Hannah Johansson from Sweden. She is the um, Triumphs only, I think, Scandinavian ambassador, uh, female motorcyclist, um, very well traveled as well. So she'll be on Wednesday nights, and we look forward to chatting to her. Um, catch this on Apple Podcasts tomorrow or Instagram TV as well. Um, that's it, guys. Have a great evening. 
And um, thanks again, Gary. Thanks for having me, Joe. Take care.